you are now listening to the Mass Startup Podcast. Today's episode is slightly different. It's something that we've been working on for a while and we found a really incredible partner to do it with. And that's Red Bull Amapigo. Today's episode is part of a series that we're testing out to really go very deeply into a very special kind of entrepreneur. These are social entrepreneurs, social impact driven entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs that have a very deep focus on having a positive impact on the world, on the people in the world and really driving change in different communities and environments. I hope you'll really stick through this amazing series because I think these conversations are powerful in what they teach and what you'll learn about not only the people that I interview but also yourself. I think entrepreneurs really need to be more conscious of the impact that they have on the world and this might be the series to show you that. So I'm drinking this water, right? It's got the name of your company on it and like I look at this and it's like incredible for me but what does it mean to you <laughs> what does it mean uh it means it means it's time to take care of the environment a little bit more and use less plastic just that yeah i mean uh, <laughs> no I, I, look um it's it's a representation of 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 something that we work we've been working on for the last 4 years um it's a physical representation of this product that we're trying to build um so we put our all into ensuring that each bottle that goes out i mean it's, it's not perfect size but each bottle that goes out or each drop of water that goes us that goes out has a purpose to it um um so so when you see a physical manifestation of that um it 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 further enhances our purpose of existence so as our slogan is uh, purpose in every drop that's powerful okay maybe we should start with just an intro sure <laughs> yeah before we get into the nitty gritties of yeah. it all um so what's your background then sure um so i my background is in science so i i actually studied um chemistry um so i did um I mean I went to Tekka High School actually um so I went to Tando Tekka High School uh, so we used to make bookshelves and uh, they used to make us build walls and stuff like that and I wonder if it was for our learning or if it was to improve the school I'm trying to it, it, it can be both the difference between labor with life skills <laughs> so um so so in my high school I I so so when you get to like grade grade 10 uh, you have to choose your <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you have to choose your 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 technical fields so i chose technical civil um so my my background has always been in the sort of technical stuff so i i went on to do um chemistry because i was interested in um in 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 science in science as a whole so i wanted to be a scientist um so i've always wanted to be a scientist so i did chemistry um at uh, cape technicon um and um and then i went to work for for the city of Cape Town um as a, in the water and sanitation department as a scientist um so yeah that's that's my background actually so worked for city of Johannesburg as well um Joburg water uh again i was working as a scientist um we're looking at um at about 4 or 5 million citizens um that are drinking 
Johannesburg water or publicly available water. So our job is to ensure that the water that is going out is safe to drink. Okay, so there was like a clear path towards you know doing the work that you're doing now. No, uh, so so I, I I so not particularly, but I mean it just looks like there was a clear path. Yeah, it sounds technical high school mm. and going into you. Know, I wanted to do IT. That's that's the, like I want. So I, I, when I went to the university, I was I wanted to do IT, but I actually thought uh, it doesn't. I don't know. It didn't really fit into what like the whole grand idea. So if you think about my vision, so how I saw myself, I saw myself as this guy wearing a white coat and okay. wearing glasses and experimenting with with these things in the laboratory. So that's probably the only and and when i looked at the sheet that um that sheet for the university i don't know what they call it um uh, like whatever that thing is called yes uh, there was nothing that resembled that so the only thing that was closest to that was chemistry so i decided to then study chemistry as a result and then um i worked when i did my third year you have to do this internship i, I couldn't get my internship at the time so my friend was working for a company that was doing um industrial wastewater treatment mm. at, uh, at Caltex in, in, the, in, the, in the manufacturing sites in Caltex. So they used to ensure that the water quality for Caltex has to be at a certain quality because Caltex used to sell. I, th- I wonder if they still do, but I'm sure they do. They sell jet fuel. Mm. In order to make jet fuel, the water quality needs to be at a certain quality. So my friend used to work for a company that did that inside of Caltex. So because I couldn't get an internship, my friend then said to me, they're running this pilot plant for a, it was a, a failing, um, nylon factory. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the reasons why the nylon factory was failing, one being the fact that a lot of the nylon that we were getting in the country and cotton was Chinese import. Second problem that they had was that they were spending a lot of money on wastewater discharge. Mm. So normally what happens is um, big municipalities, so if you're an industrial um, company, so you're a manufacturer, they measure the amount of waste that you're taking out into the environment, and mm-hmm. if it's over a certain limit, they fine you. So this company is paying in, a, in the region of millions per month. Sure. Um, on, on their waste um, disposal. So my friend, they were running a pilot plant to prove that they can treat that water for the factory and that's, that saved them that million, uh, all those millions um, by the quality of the water being, yeah, being improved. So then they asked me to sort of just look after the plant in a sense uh, as a process operator. So, um, so that's really how I got into the water space because uh, then I did six months in that space um, before I went to work for the city of Cape Town, where again it was absolute chance and absolute luck that I that I got the job. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, I did. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it was more chance than it being a clear path more than anything. Mm. So fast forward from all of that, um, what is Kusini? Yeah. So 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 a little bit of a rewind as well so when i was working in jobex one of the biggest challenges that jobex faces and and in popo um, and and cape town again is, is inequalities so if you look at um uh, suburban areas such as for example four ways of Danefern and deep slit is is clear inequalities same thing in cape town also yeah. um but inequalities also exist in things such as energy and things such as water one of the things i started to notice heavy was the fact that if you are in Danefen or in four ways, your access to safe drinking water, your story to getting your water in a tap is very, very different to someone's story to getting water in deep slit. Mm-hmm. More often than not, that person would have to walk to go get um, water either in a communal tap or in a tanker. 
So one of the research that we were doing when I was working at the city was uh, the impact of tankers, um, so which is really water that comes in a truck, it, it fills up a tank that mm. is left in the community, so the long-term effects of that. Um, so what, I, what started paining me more than anything was the fact that we're using all of these skills to ensure that this one area of the, of the, of the Joburg, of, of the town, continuously gets water, but we're not doing anything about this other area. So, um, so that's when I decided to start a company within the space, um, um, which is Kusini Water, which is what we're looking at, in order to address the sort of disparities that exist within the you know, sort of access to safe drinking water. Um, mm. you know. How much more extreme is that problem in rural areas? Oh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 incredibly um it's incredibly vast. I mean, if you look at not just um, the countries of Africa, um, 12, about twelve million people don't have access to safe drinking water, piped safe drinking water in South Africa, in South Africa okay. which is a huge a huge amount That's of people. Massive. It's massive amount of people, and and it's 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 quite prevalent because we have both the economic access to safe drinking water in, in rural areas where it's because municipalities physically can't get the water to people uh, because of the economic barriers. Uh, and we also have the physical barriers where in some areas there's physically no water to give to the people. Um, we saw that manifested more at scale within the Cape Town municipality last year with Day Zero, but that continues to be a day-to-day -day reality for most communities. Um, right now, it's happening in Grahamstown as we speak, it's happening in... Um, in PE, as we speak, it's happening in most rural areas in Limpopo, from Makuya area, um, Chikonero area. Um, those areas are heavily hit by both economic and physical barriers to safe drinking water. So 11 million people didn't, don't have access to safe drinking water. Even those that do have access to safe drinking water in the 40-odd million people that are left, it's not often the case that that water is purified or it's at a standard um, that is stipulated in, this, in the standard. Mm. So, I mean, that period where Cape Town was literally like on its knees, I'm not sure whether, you know, there's always these conspiracy theories or oh, this sure. whole yeah. crisis was manufactured. Sure, whatever. Sure, sure. Yeah. But I remember you being very active and saying, hey, guys, we've got a solution for you. Yeah. You know, we can help you. We think these are the solutions. Like, what was that period like for you? I yeah. mean, you have a company that literally deals with this one yeah. crisis that they were, you know, so heavily. Yeah, yeah, suffering. That's, I mean, right as, as the crisis was at its apex, apex um, in Jan last year, that's really when, um, I, actually in Cape Town in that, at that particular time when, when people were thinking, everyone is panicking that you're going to run out of water, um, I actually had a meeting with, um, with someone from the Red Bull Mapico team and we were talking about um, what companies need to do, number one what companies need to do to respond to the shortage. And one of the things I mentioned was that, look, as much as this is a huge international story, the truth is there's everyday lived experience of day zero in this particular town, in Cape Town, where every single day this is the reality for the last 20, 30 or so years. Um, so the first thing that really um, we spoke about during that time was that if we're going to solve this problem, it needs to be solved at a systemic level. It needs to be solved at informal settlements, which really should, be, should become townships. It needs to be solved at township level. It also needs to be solved by big corporates that exist uh, within the city of Cape Town. Um, so that's when um, we started to then partner with Cape Town companies. Um, for example, Red Bull, I mean, right, that's, that's actually um, the crisis that was actually 
um, roll down to us actually having a project with, with Red Bull and VNA and some of Cape Town's companies um, that are looking to solve the problem on a systemic level so going forward. Mm. Um, so, so we're doing some amazing projects now in the Western Cape as a result. Um, and this is both to do with City of Cape Town, give, offering the solutions to City of Cape Town, which we're doing, um, and also offering a service to private companies such as, such as Red Bull, where we're going to be supplying their building with water, and all the water that Red Bull consumes, for every liter that they consume, they give 20 liters to a community affected as well. So that, that helped us um, as well in getting to the point where we're at right now. Speaking about Red Bull, I mean, you've been part of the Amapigo program, you know, gone through sort of the resources that they have and gone through the mentorship programs as well and all of that. What did that actually do for you as a company? And, yeah. you know, what's the impact of sure. it? Sure. I always talk about my company in, uh, in, three, in three stages. Okay. So the trough of sorrow hit very early. Trough in the of sorrow. <laughs> so, so the trough of sorrow hit very early in the company. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm sure you'll explain trough of sorrow. <laughs> I mean, listen. Okay. What was the fir- what's the first stage of a start? I forgot. For, for I mean, for me, the early trough of sorrow. Excitement. Yes. Then, what yeah. was it? It's so early excitement. excitement, early adoption, then the trough of sorrow, which is the Great Depression. The Great Depression. And then adaptation. And then suddenly, oh, it wait, this can actually get okay. Yeah. So my, my, my startup also had a very, very similar path. So when we launched, we, had a, we, we launched in Venda in a community which was very high excitement in um, mm. 2016. Um, 2016? 2016, right? High excitement, people were so excited. Then... Then, then, then um, the trough of sorrow hit, and it hit very hard. We ran out of all resources. We used, I used up all my resources to build up the store in Venda, which was the first site that we had in, mm. um, in, 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 in the company. I used up every single penny we had in the company, um, which, and the store failed. Um, that, that particular store completely failed. What do you think that is? Um, so it was the location. It was not the right time. Um, it was, we didn't market it as well as we could have. Um, so it was all sorts of factors. Mm. Then um, Jan, Feb, I did the interview for, for Amapico, and then May, I was then taken into the program. Um, so then I started the, the academy um, at the peak of my truffle, sorry, when, when, when we had absolutely nothing. Mm. So then at the academy, I, at the 10 days, I spent really rethinking the whole company, mm. uh, actually. So I rethought location, which was one of the biggest factors. Um, then we went into container stores instead mm. of physical locations containers advantages you put an investment into because we had put an investment in a physical building space yeah yeah so we painted it we branded it and we it was very specific for that location when it fails you can't take that away you can't take your paint away you can't take uh, you can't take the, the, the pipes away you can't mm-hmm. take any any of those uh, any of those things so you can't take the borehole away but with a container you you just lift up the container just, yeah. go to the next location so we thought we really thought we really thought that with both my mentor, um, Gavin Will, which was an amazing guy, um, and, and some of the guys, they, they, Red Bull had some of the guys from International, some of the, mm. some of the more creative guys. Um, there was this guy, actually, honestly, I forgot his name, he's from Canada. Um, he's a great branding guy. So we sat down and we rethought some of these things. So then May, then I restarted the company, in all honesty. Um, then in October, we launched the first new So literally, product. like, went through the program, mm-hmm. like, rethought the whole The whole thing. company, yeah. And then relaunched. Yeah, in October we relaunched. October eighteenth, sure. we relaunched um, the new product. So it was a more streamlined product. Our physical f- filter itself. So we make filters. So we make filters from 
locally sourced macadamia nut shells, which you get from farmers in Limpopo, and then we pair that with a nanofiber and we 3D print the shell that surrounds it. Um, so then we re- You explain that like you were explaining how to play with a toy. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what it sounds like. It sounds like a lot of different, like, it, it sounds very technical. Mm. Um, definitely needs you know, a lot more um, scientific work. It needs a lot more thinking around what you're actually doing. And obviously, just like, I mean, how did you initially have to test that? Sure. You know, mm. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure you weren't just like, letting people drink the water just yeah, to see sure. if they'd get sick. Yeah, like... Uh, Obviously not. Did you get sick? Okay, that product doesn't work there. No. <laughs> that wouldn't work. <laughs> no, that so, would not work. I mean, um, so, yeah, so one of the things, I mean, an advantage is that the water industry has been in existence for a long time. Obviously. So that that assists in in rapidly testing out pro- um, th- thinking because then you, you physically... There's standards that have been set for such a long time that um, you can't bypass those standards if you're going to get the filter onto, this, onto the market. So, mm. so that gives us an advantage that we can rapidly test that. So we started testing in 2015, in, um, and the product didn't change. The, the physical chemistry of the product or the, um, the, the, the flux or the, what do you call this, uh, the physical chemistry itself of the product didn't change at all from 2015. 12, when I started dreaming of the product to till now, the, the product itself hasn't changed. It's the casing around it, the, the transportation of the product, the size of the product that has changed quite a bit. Um, so in, 2000, in 2015, when we launched the first product, the basic chemistry was the same um, up until now. So then um, we changed the cover, we changed the f- how, how, how the flow, how the water goes in. So initially, it used to go from one filter to the next filter to the next filter, as I'm sure you've, some people have seen it on the YouTube video. Mm. Um, now, what, what, how that happens is that it happens only in one filter. Mm. Um, so the process goes through the one filter, and then you just get the product at the end. But the basic chemistry hasn't changed. Um, so then in October, when we relaunched, we relaunched the new streamlined um, product, mm. uh, which gives us more water with less power, which is very, very important for rural areas. Yeah. Um, because um, the area that we started working in, in, in Whitbank, um, has both water and energy challenges big energy challenges, even though ESCOM has the most amount of coal from there, which is so weird. Um, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> which, is, which, is, which is really weird. And, and, and again, it's, they've got a lot of industrial people that are contaminating the water. Um, so to test it, is we, 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 we stick to basic chemistry. We've got SANS241, which is the South African National Standard for, for drinking water mm-hmm. that we comply with. We've got a, a third-party laboratory partner that tests all of our water. Mm. Um, how, how conscious are companies about the impact they have on safe drinking water? So just like something you, you mentioned about Whitbank, just like oh, yeah. there's a lot of industries oh, around yeah. it, you know. I mean, I live in an area where there's a lot of sort of factories and stuff like that. So literally when you come into my area, you know you're there because there's a smell. Yeah. Literally just chemicals that are going into sort of the river this, that flows yeah. around there. Yeah. And you can smell, you know something's wrong here. Mm. Mm. It literally smells weird. Mm. So how conscious are companies about the impact they have on the drinking quality of water and like even maybe also, you know, how they're using energy and how much more they need to be conscious about how they're using energy. It's incredible. I mean, you look at some of these big mining houses, especially in in the east of of Gauteng, if you look at um, Whitbank, it's it's incredible the impact that these industrial players have had on uh, when our natural resources. A lot of companies are conscious of it. Um, I mean, again, it's a question of if, if you're producing a couple billions a year for the economy, 
um, you, you and you're conscious of the impact that you have, you need to think, I mean, government needs to think hard about how do you regulate this person to ensure that they continue to produce these billions in the economy. And still. And, and so the balance there is very, very, very difficult. Um, so the best thing they can do, the best thing they can do is to, is to impose the sanctions in terms of the fines, like the mm. company in Cape Town. That's one thing that they can do. But at the same time, they need to insist that these companies give to those communities the cleanest water as possible. Mm. Um, actually, had a, interesting enough, I had a, um, a mining company reach out to me that is opening a new mine in um, the Broken Spray area. Mm-hmm. So what they said to me is, initially upfront, they want to purify all the water for the community. They know the impact that they're going to before have. Before they even open. Before they like, even hey, open. Look, yeah. Right off the bat, we yeah. want to make sure that we fix this. Yeah. yeah. So they, they said to me, I must write up an environmental impact um, report as to um, what water, the impact that they're going to have in the water resources, um, the treatment system that you're going to use, and the impact that's going to have. Because they are upfront saying to the government and to the community of Broncos Bridge that we understand the impact of our product, we want to grow this area economically, so then we'll treat the water to, that would be going back to the community. So a lot more companies are starting to do that. Um, mm. And I think government needs to enable that in terms of tax rebates, in terms of because um, that's going to be a big part of um, the enterprise and supply development strategy that they have in the area as well. Mm. Uh, we're going to have more communal gardening in the area as well. Um, so we've, got, we've also got companies, say for example, um, Lancera Airport also reached out to us because they've got a little bit of a worry about uh, the impact that um, the fuel has in the community surrounding the airport as, as the airport is growing. Mm. Um, so, so, so companies are becoming more and more aware, but more needs to be done. Government needs to enable the growth of the companies at the same time as enabling uh, some companies such so as finding us. that balance between yeah. sustainability versus yeah. profitability. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Yeah, because the impact is so so overreaching. Um, it, it reaches far; it's too far wide. Um, yeah. yeah. So when you think about the journey that you have, you know, um, what do you think have been like really big, you know, moments where? you felt things changing and really going towards more, hey, we are literally in the pits of what we're doing, we don't understand what we're doing, and mm. then going to the level where you are now, where you're just like literally just trying to iterate mm. and provide as, as much as you can. Yeah. No, so, I mean, when we went through my, the second cycle of our startup, um, after we launched, um, we, we were very fortunate that um, um, we, we got the business expertise that we got into the business. We uh, say, for, uh, I mean, my mentor is has been in the business for a long time, and they've gone through all the cycles. So, so for me, um, beginning of last year, 2018, we had the biggest change in our business, um, and that is as a direct result of, um, of of the people that we surrounded ourselves with. Mm-hmm. It was great to that that we had a mentor who is well vested in the business space, um, understands startups because he's run a startup for a long time. So that's when we started to see the real, real change in the business itself. Um, we relaunched the product, we rethought our market positioning as well. One of the biggest challenges that we face is that in the water space is, is so horizontal. There's just so much that you can do within the space, from, all the way from bottled water, which is something that is not really big focus, all the way to big bulk municipal water treatment. Um, and we could have been anywhere in that spectrum. Um, so we're then choosing exactly where we want to be, choosing exactly to say that our biggest focus is, number one, we focus on ensuring that communities that are affected by lack of access to safe drinking water have water. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? By partnering with companies and selling 
bottled water, uh, or office water that ensures that all the profit that we make feeds into this purpose that we exist for. And that's really a big change of what happened. So now we've got companies that buy water from us because they know that that sale that they've made in, at Kusini, that bottle that they're drinking in their office or in their store or wherever that they're drinking has a direct impact in the community that that company exists in. Um, and that's huge. And, 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 and so now what we've done now is actually done an IIT platform that proves to those same companies that these are the sites that we're actually operating in. They can see live. Now you can see live all the data to show that these are the sites that Kusini Water has given water to. These are the sites that Kusini Water operates in in terms of the um, rural sites. Mm. And how so much water was flowing an hour ago. So much water was flowing 30 minutes ago. And we're able to prove that um, at the moment, which is a huge thing because then that gives the trust back to the donors, the clients that are consuming our product. Yeah. I mean, your company is for profit, yeah. um, but you are also very focused on impact. Yeah. So do you identify as a social entrepreneur? <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say yeah. that. I'd so what does that mean to you? Yeah. So, I, I mean, for me, it's definitely every single thing that we do, and I think it goes back to our, to our, to our strategy, our business strategy, which is purpose in every drop. So every single drop that goes out of our factory, goes out of our store, or goes out of anywhere that is that is connected to Kusini water has purpose and meaning in a community that's affected by lack of access to safe drinking water on a systemic level. So what that means to me is that we drop, we maximize profit, just like any traditional company, maximize profit in order to enable, maximize social impact in the communities that we operate in, as well as environmental impact as well. So we, we work hard to sell as much water as possible to ensure that we work hard to give as much water to communities so as possible. So literally the profitability actually feeding into the impact. Exactly. So it's, yeah. they call it the, um, the Robin Hood model. The uh, Robin Hood model. Yeah, taking from the rich uh, uh, while taking... I don't want to stay stealing from the rich. <laughs> <laughs> so not taking, not stealing either. Selling to the rich. Selling to the rich. <laughs> in order to enable the, 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 the communities that we want to we wanna serve in. Uh, we, 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 we like that model. And how's it going? Like, have you seen sort of the impact that you've had really come through from the other end, right? Yeah. So from the end user, the end consumer, where yeah. you know communities are being enabled to have this yeah. this big thing, right? Yeah. You know, it's something. It's really interesting. We're recording this on Human Rights Day, right? Sure. Yeah. Just it's that yeah. small thing that we take so for granted in urban areas. You know, I've always grown up yeah. in an urban area. Yeah. You know, whether it was Soweto. The East Rand, mm. it's always been urban areas. So water is not something you think about until it switches off. Which yeah, yeah. still happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for a community where you know they used to, for example, travel two kilometers, five kilometers to go get the water first, mm. versus us, we just like open your tap at it's, home. It's, yeah. at the, it's just there. Yeah. Like, what's the impact that you've seen on that end where people are going, you've changed our lives, yeah. the way we live things, the way we look at things also? Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. If you go to um, one site that we, our, I would say our flagship site, which is um, in Heidelberg, um, this, one of the biggest challenges that this community faces is both energy and water. And they are so remote that... Um, as much as they're surrounded with the Val River and the Val Dam, mm. they, have, they have no water. Um, so we, in the Heidelberg community, we have seen such a huge systemic change because this, is, this place is so remote that 
not even water trucks go there. Um, mm. So they have to rely on farmers um, for water. So we have put in a solar-powered water purification system in that community. Uh, that helps us to, one, ensure that when there's no power, which is a huge occurrence, which is a, a regular occurrence, water continues to flow in this community mm. and the safest drinking water. Um, we've seen that on a confidence level that that, that, that has impacted the community, um, the community uh, because it was, it was not easy for them to drink water. So we've seen that change in uh, user in people's behavior um, now, uh, confidence in drinking the water uh, and so forth. We are working in another another tough area in Amanskran, which has been in the, in the news for, you know, again, it's a human rights issue. Uh, Amanskran is a proper human rights issue because it's a community that when most times when they open the tap water, they physically can see the water that is dating. So we're working in a school to ensure that where kids, the most vulnerable group, spend eight hours of their day, they're drinking water that is safe to drink. Mm. Um, so that's a huge area of pride for ourselves as well. Um, and we've partnered with great organizations to do that. We've partnered with amazing organizations. We've got another school in Limpopo. We've partnered with Opikopi, um, um, Opikopi what is this, um, festival. Mm. Um, festival goers don't care much. They just want to drink water, right? But what they didn't realize last year is that as they were hydrating themselves to cure themselves from the hangover, all those liters that they were drinking have ensured that someone every day now gets access to safe drinking water on a regular basis. <laughs> I don't um, think the people at Opikopi should, <laughs> like, is that something they were conscious of? No. I feel like I'd be so conscious and be like, I want more water. <laughs> if you told me if yeah. I drink three Let liters me of drink water, more someone else... Yeah. Yes, three liters of water. I drink all the water you want. Yeah, and I mean, we, 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 I mean, last year we had a big sort of stand and we were showcasing that. And I think we, the partnership will allow us to grow that even more, to reach out to more people because we're going to talk about it a lot more um, mm. for this year's festival. So, um, yeah, and, and we're going to do like Rocking the Days. It's one of the big events as well uh, where that, that same model exists. And the biggest reason why that needs to happen is because where we spend where kids, um, where we spend the most amount of money unconsciously, mm. that's where we can draw the most amount of impact on a conscious level mm. um, to, to, to communities that are right there. Because, I mean, people, have to, you have to buy water in a festival. Yeah. Um, and there are this community that every day can't have, can't have access. So, I mean, you being a startup dude, I'm going to ask you a very startup question. Sure. Right? <laughs> um, what's your moonshot? Ooh. <laughs> very startup -y. Oh, that's very startup <laughs> So what our moonshot is, so if you look at the African continent, for, for, we want, when you're drinking water, we want that water to be in one way or another associated with cuisine. So be it when you wake up in the morning and open your tap, or when you're going to your grocery store to buy water, um, or when you're in your nearest, when you're in your favorite festival. Um, mm. uh, what's that um, festival in, in Uganda, in Tanzania? So we, that's, we want to be associated with every single drop of water that you're drinking and all of that water being done in a system that's fully automated, operating autonomously using renewable energy. And we want that to happen throughout the African continent. So and every single village to be functioning on its own water source, getting its own renewable energy and water source um, and all of that to be connected to Kusini water. That's powerful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, man. Cool. <laughs>